Good morning, church family, and to anyone else listening this morning. I pray that you are all well and that you are becoming maybe a little more comfortable in streaming these messages online, just not too comfortable, as we are not to neglect to meet together, and oh, happy day it will be when we can gather again. But until then, our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 4, will be in verses 1 through 6. As we transition from the theologically rich section, which was chapters 1 through 3, on God's sovereign work in our redemption and who we now are as Christians in Jesus Christ, as we transition to chapters 4 through 6, where we begin to focus more on how we as Christians, as individuals who now have their identity in Jesus Christ, who receive the saving grace of God, how we are to act, how we are to walk. To walk, it is the phrase that Paul uses to describe the Christian's way of life or how Christians are to manage and direct and behave within their lives. For example, Paul uses to walk throughout chapter 5, which we will see in a couple weeks. Paul calls Christians to walk in love in verse 2. He calls them to walk as children of light in verse 9. He calls them to look carefully how they walk in verse 15. And it's great advice. Because as Christians, we must be careful and mindful how we walk. There's a joke out there about two church leaders who took their pastor out fishing on a boat. Now, none of them had caught anything all morning. So the one church leader stood up in the boat and said that he needed to get something to eat. So he climbed out of the boat and walked on the water across the shore. He came back about ten minutes later the same way. Then the other church leaders decided that he too needed to get something to eat. So he climbed out of the boat, walked on the water to the shore, and he too came back about ten minutes later the same way. The pastor looked at both of them and decided that his faith was just as strong as theirs. So he stepped out of the boat onto the water and plunged right in, making a huge splash in the process. And the one church leader looked at the other and said, I suppose we should have told him where the rocks were. Paying attention to how we walk and where we walk, it is critical, Christian. Which leads us to our thesis this morning, or the two main points of the sermon this morning. And it is this. Christian, you have been called to walk in a manner that unifies the church. And this call is based on your identity, your oneness in Christ. Christian, you have been called to walk in a manner that unifies the church. And this call is based on your identity, your oneness in Jesus Christ. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And brother Christian, sister Christian from Faith Bible Fellowship Church, Even as you are home this morning, I would highly recommend opening your Bibles up and following along with the text. Again, we are in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. The Apostle Paul writes, I therefore, 
a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and his redemptive work on the cross. We thank you that we can now be called sons and daughters of the Most High God through faith in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as your children, Father, you have called us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Lord, I pray that as your children, we continue to grow in humility, in gentleness, in patience with each other. Soften our hearts, Lord. Give us a mind of understanding and of, at peace, knowing that we are brothers and sisters in Christ together, that we love one another well because we have been loved by you. Father, I pray that you give me the words to speak this morning. Father, send your spirit to help my lisping, stammering, sinful, depraved tongue. Lord, I pray for wisdom as I do my best to communicate your truth with this dear flock. I pray that I be bold and humble in my message this morning, trying to equip your, your flock for the work that you have called them to. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning is this. Point number one. Christian, you have been called to walk in a way that maintains unity within the church body. Christian, you have been called to walk in a way that maintains unity within the church body. Verses 1 through 3. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul opens chapter 4 here in a similar way to how he opened chapter 3. He refers to himself here as a prisoner for the Lord. Verse 1, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, if you remember, Paul is in jail. He is likely in Rome, likely on house arrest, and likely chained to a Roman soldier when he writes this letter. Also, I hope you remember from chapter 3 that Paul had been called by God to preach the gospel message to the Gentiles and to boldly proclaim there, the Gentiles, their equal privileges in Christ. That they had the same privileges in Christ as the Jews. 
And he walked faithfully in that call. No matter what persecution, no matter what violence, no matter what potential jail time Paul faced, he was faithful in that call. Paul was given a call by God and he was going to walk in a manner, walk in a way worthy of that calling. No matter the earthly consequences, he was going to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. Thus, as an apostle who had been chosen by God, who is in jail, who is willing to face persecution for the sake of the gospel, who does walk the walk, Paul has some street cred, if you will. He has some credibility in the eyes of his readers. So as someone who is living it, who is walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which he had been called, he urges his readers here, he says, you too, he exhorts them, he calls them, he invokes them and says, you too, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And what exactly is their calling? What is the calling of these Ephesians? What is the calling of these Christians throughout Asia Minor? If you remember back to the opening doxology of this letter, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, it reads this, that God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Thus, as Christians, we must walk in a way or live in a way that displays the character or excellence of one who has been chosen, as one who has been predestined and adopted by God, as one who has been given every spiritual blessing and called to be holy and blameless through Jesus Christ as an eternal member of God's family. In essence, we must live and walk in a manner of one who is a child of the Most High God. But how? How do we do that? How can we walk in a manner worthy of this amazing calling? And Paul here in verses 2 and 3 gives his readers five imperatives. He gives them five instructions to help them, to guide them in walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which they have been called. Verses 2 and 3, it says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And he starts in verse 2 with our mind, with our ego. He starts with humility. Humility, it is defined as a modest or low view of one's own importance. And what's interesting is that in our world today, our secular society views humility much in the same way as the Romans or the Greeks did when Paul wrote this letter. As if humility was a negative attribute. But for the Christian, humility is not a negative attribute. It is anything but, because it is an attribute that showcases we have the mind of Christ. Paul writes this to to the church in Philippi. He says, do nothing from rivalry or with conceit, 
but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. And have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Paul calls them to model the humility displayed by Jesus Christ. And Christ on humility, here is one of his teachings from Luke chapter 14. It reads, Now he, Jesus, told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come to you and say, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Brother Christian, sister Christian, the way into the kingdom of God is not through the pride of our good works or having a high view of how great we are. It is not through how cocky we become due to people telling us that we are the best at this or the best at that. But instead, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that see how sinful they are and humbly cling to the glory of God's grace. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Thus be content to walk boasting in Christ and not in yourself. That is the mark of true Christian humility. Boasting in Christ and not in ourselves. So walk humbly, church. Walk humbly. Next in verse 2, Paul highlights gentleness. Or your translation might have meekness. Again, as a society, we have taken gentleness and kind of hijacked it into a negative word, a negative connotation, a negative description. But what Paul is describing here is not that Christians are to be weak or to be spineless, but to be gentle or to be meek here is to be under control. To be self-controlled, not allowing our former points of pride to be easily provoked. Bible scholar Leon Morris noted that gentleness, meekness, it is a virtue of the strong. Those who could exert force to get their own way, but choose not to. Donald Barnhouse noted the winning horse at the Kentucky Derby is the perfect picture of meekness. In fact, it is said that the horse that wins the race is the meekest on the track. Despite the size and power of the horse, the horse that wins the race is the one most under control and who responds most quickly to his jockey's guidance. You see, the self-willed horse or the uncooperative horse, is often left at the post when the race starts. 
And when he does start running, although he is faster than some of the other horses, he does his own thing. He doesn't listen to the jockey's guidance and fails to take the best route, not finishing with the horses who were meek. Barnhouse concludes, In the word of God, meekness is presented to us as a vertical virtue, not as a horizontal one. Meekness is the way a man boldly follows God and his word, even in the face of the condescending powers here on earth. To be gentle or to be meek, that does not make you weak, Christian. But it is to be self-controlled, to put your own personal glory, your own personal power, your own personal pride aside, and to be controlled by the word and the will of God, so that God be glorified and not man. The scriptures say, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So walk gently, church. Walk gently. Next in verse 2, Paul notes patience. If you want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, be patient. Boy, that's a good one. Who doesn't struggle in this area? And really, do we even equate our patience with godliness? Do we equate our patience with our sanctification? Thus, let me lovingly ask you this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, are you patient with your brothers and sisters in Christ at Faith Bible Fellowship Church? Are you patient with the children at Faith Bible Fellowship Church that we train and raise them up in the Lord? Are we patient with each other? In Charles Prather's A Handbook of Classics, He wrote that in the late 1700s in Scotland, a young lady gathered a class of poor, rough boys into Sunday school. Among them was a boy named Bob, the most wretched and unpromising of the group. The superintendent of the school told these boys to come to his house during the week and he would give them a new suit of clothes. They came and received the clothes as promised. But after a Sunday or two, Bob failed to appear. But the teacher went to him, finding the clothes and rags and Bob playing in the street with other boys. So she begged him to come back and promised him another suit of clothes. Again, after two weeks, Bob failed to show. The teacher again finding Bob in the street with the other boys, his clothes off in rags. Thus she begged him again to come back and promised him more clothes. What patience. This time... Bob came to Christ. In a short time, he felt a call to ministry and was granted a license to preach. Robert Bob Morrison became the first missionary to China and became the man who translated the Bible into Chinese. Don't lose patience, church. Church father John Chrysostom explain patience this way. He said, patience is having a wide and a big soul. Patience is having a wide and a big soul. 
And if patience is not your thing this morning, if you find yourself struggling in this area, still getting irritated and frustrated, judgmental, upset over the actions and decisions and the ways of life of certain members in the church or the behavior of certain children in the church, then please ponder and dwell on these words from the Apostle Paul to a young Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he said, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Jesus Christ was patient with Paul, and he was patient with you, brother Christian, sister Christian, when you were dead in your sin. Never forget that. And from an application standpoint, church, to be patient with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It is not to allow them to just walk in sin. It is not to be vengeful or judgmental toward them when they do fall into temptation. But to be patient with your brothers and sisters in Christ is to not give up on them when they do fall. To be patient with them is to walk with them steadily, helping them to walk away from their sin and closer to Jesus Christ. Thus walk patiently with your brothers and sisters in Christ just as Jesus Christ was patient with you. So walk patiently, church. Walk patiently. Finally, in verse 2, Paul notes, bearing with one another in love. Or as the Holman Bible puts it, accepting one another in love. Or tolerating one another in love. And here is the good news this morning. If we can get the first three down, if we can get humility and gentleness and patience, this naturally then allows us to bear one another in love and to support and to tolerate and to accept one another in love. Because here is the thing, church. We are going to fail each other. We are going to say something to someone in the church that we shouldn't say. We are going to post something on social media we shouldn't and that will offend others. We are going to make a decision that ruffles some feathers. It happens. We are going to fail each other. I am going to fail you. As your pastor, I promise you, I am going to fail you. But if we are all humble, we boast in Christ and not in ourselves. If we are all gentle and meek, not trying to exert power, but to maintain self-control and submit to the will and the word of God. And if we are patient and we realize that we all make mistakes and meditate on how patient Jesus Christ was with us, then naturally, when your pastor fails you, when your elder fails you, when your deacon fails you, when your wife fails you, when your husband fails you, when your Sunday school teacher fails you or any member of this church fails you we can still love each other and bear with each other in love because our love it is patient our love it is kind it does not envy it does not boast our love it covers a multitude of sins our love it forgives our love it reconciles and it allows us to fellowship again with each other 
which allows us in verse 3 to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice, we are not making unity. We are not the ones constructing it or crafting it. Paul uses the word maintain because God is the one who made it. God made us one in Christ. He made us brothers and sisters in Christ together, citizens together, stones together in his temple. Thus, every member at Faith Bible Fellowship Church must strive in humility, in gentleness, in patience as we bear and support and build Build each other up in love in order to maintain the unity of the Spirit offered only to us through the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Oh, that we be bonded together and at peace forever in Jesus Christ. Because as Christians, to be Christian is to be bonded and unified with Christ and with His church. To be a Christian is to be bonded and unified with Christ and with his church. Thus, walk in Christ, church. Walk in Christ. Which brings us to point two this morning, which will be brief. Point number two is this. Christians, we are united by our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christians, we are united by our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verses 4 through 6. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Most scholars believe that what we have here is an early Christian creed, likely recited by early churches and even possibly originally written by Paul himself. And Paul, he really can't help himself here. He gives his readers five instructions in verses 2 through 3 but then instantly jumps right back into the theology or the why here. Why are we as Christians to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called? And he begins in verse 4. He says, because there is one body, the church, people from all tongues, all nations, all backgrounds, united together, caring for each other with different skills, get different giftings, working together to glorify the church. And there's one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who convicted us of sin, who regenerated our hearts, allowed us to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, and baptized us into the unified body of Christ. And lastly, in verse 4, there is only one hope. There is only one eternal inheritance, one new life, one salvation, and one perfect glorified kingdom that we long for. And in verse 5, it's only found in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the one who accomplished the work or the means of salvation for his children. There is only one Lord, and we must never, ever, ever forget that. And it goes on in verse 5 that there is one faith and one baptism. 
It's the gospel is the one faith. The one faith is the gospel and all the truths given to us, revealed to us in the word of God. It is the scriptures that was once and for all delivered to the saints. And there is one baptism. As Harold Honer points out, Christians are now identified being one in Christ, one in his death, one in his resurrection through our faith. Colossians 2.12 says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which we are also raised with him through faith by the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And verse 6, there is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There is one God and Father, one omnipotent, one omniscient, one omnipresent God who created and sustains all things and acted so we as Christians can be adopted and redeemed and united as the children of God. Church, we all have this in common. We are all part of the same body. We are all regenerated by the same spirit. We all cling to the same eternal hope. We are all redeemed by the same Lord. We all confess the same faith. We all identify with Christ via the same baptism. And we are all adopted into the same family by the same God and Father. Thus, if you, brother Christian, sister Christian, want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, maintain unity Be united with each other. Be who you already are in Christ. Be one with Christ and one with His church. Be one with Christ and one with His church. As we close this morning, I'll begin with the non-Christian who is listening. First off, if you are not a Christian and you are listening to me this morning, I want to say thank you. And it has been an honor to open and to share God's word with you this morning. And I realize, non-Christian, you may be at home thinking that this idea of unity within the church, that this has to be some type of fairy tale. Some group of people who are united and they're humble and gentle and patient toward each other. They bear each other's mistakes in love that it just doesn't seem possible. You might be thinking, just look at how divided and how split we are as a world today. There are divisions within our government. There are rifts between generations. There are schisms between the wealthy and those who are struggling to take, make ends meet. And you're telling me up there, Pastor Boy, that Christians, people from all nations, all tongues, all backgrounds, all ways of life, are united as one? How? And the answer, non-Christian, the answer is that we are united by one faith in one Lord. By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the God-man, Jesus Christ who was truly God and truly man, who defeated sin and destroyed death, the, the cosmic pandemic that infects us all and leads to eternal life. Jesus Christ, he destroyed it. You see, our sin, it separates us from God and it leads to eternal death. 
Thus Jesus Christ came into the world and he lived the sinless life, the life that we never could live. And in order to save sinners from eternal death, Jesus Christ, he paid the price of sin with his perfect sinless life. He was crushed. He was crucified on a cross and bore the full wrath of God for our sins. The wrath that I deserve for my sins. The wrath that we all deserve for our sins. Jesus Christ, he bore that wrath. He paid the price for it. And the price he paid was his life. And it appeased the holy wrath of God towards sinful children. And non-Christian, three days later, Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and defeating death through eternity. Christ, Jesus Christ, he won, he beat death through eternity. Thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you repent of your sins. You turn from your sins and you trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sins, the only one who paid the price for your sins, the only one who died for your sins, the only one who lived the life you never could and can clothe you in his righteousness and reconcile you back to God forever. You want unity. Listen to this, Romans 6.5. For if we are united with Christ in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. Let today be the day that you turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sins and reconcile you back to God forever and you will forever be united with Christ and united with his church. You will be united with Christ in his resurrection. Let today be the day. And to the Christian that is here this morning, this is an interesting chapter, Ephesians 4. Because thus far, this letter has been very theologically focused. And it has only offered one imperative. It has only offered one instruction to its readers in the first three chapters. And that was for them to remember. He says, you Gentiles, remember that you were previously alienated from Israel. Alienated from the people of God. But now in Jesus Christ, you are one with Christ. Paul wanted his readers to remember that. But we get to chapter 4, and we are instructed to be humble and gentle and patient and to bear in love and maintain unity. And you might be thinking, wow, I kind of just like the theology sections where we could learn but, but weren't called to do anything. But brother Christian, sister Christian, that is not how our theology must work. Because we have been called to walk, to live out our faith, to practice our faith, to walk in faith. Our faith, it must be active and walking and breathing and living. Klein Snodgrass, he said that our problem as Christians is that we have a million-dollar salvation and a five-cent response to it. We are unimpressed with God's salvation. Is that you this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, unimpressed with God's salvation, thinking you have this gift but not interested in having your actions or your walk reflect it? 
James 1, 22 and tw- through 25 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Church, we are not just to hear the word of God and instantly forget it and thus not apply it to our lives. We are to hear the word of God, to see the gift of salvation we have in Jesus Christ who saved us when we are dead in our sins, who changed us from death to life. And then since Jesus Christ is our Lord, we submit to him and apply the word of God to our lives and be obedient to it because Jesus Christ and his gift of salvation, it is worth it. It is worth putting our pride aside and responding with humility. It is worth putting our hardness aside and responding with gentleness. It is worth putting our agitation aside and responding with patience. It is worth putting our loathing aside and responding with love. Eternal salvation offered only through Christ and Christ alone is always worthy of an obedient response. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body understand the weight of the gift of eternal salvation that we have been given by Jesus Christ and Christ alone and that we respond obediently. Lord, give us the humility of Christ. Let us not do anything from rivalry or with conceit, but in humility teach us to count others as more significant than ourselves. Lord, give us gentleness, a gentleness that turns away wrath, a gentleness that is able to teach and instruct in a non-quarrelsome manner, and a gentleness that is willing to put power and strength aside for the good of your kingdom, God, and make it a gentleness that is evident to all. And God, give us patience. Give us patience, Lord, the patience to endure when our brothers and sisters in Christ may offend us or sin against us. The patience to endure in the same way that you, Christ, are so patient with us. And Lord, as we grow in humility, as we grow in gentleness and patience, let it lead to unity. Let us maintain the unity we have been given by you and you alone. We are bonded together in peace as brothers and sisters in Christ because and only because there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Lord, empower us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called, one with Christ and one with your church. One with Christ and one with the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I plead with you this morning. Let our response to the gift of eternal salvation be worth more than five cents. Let our response to the gift of eternal salvation pour out of us all humility, all gentleness, love to bear with one another, to maintain unity. Help us to be patient with one another, Lord. Let our response be worthy of the calling to which 
we have been called. Spirit, help us to fathom the weight and the price of our salvation. Soften our hearts, Lord. Let us be meek in the way we respond. Let us be patient and humble with each other, not so that we are glorified, but so that you are glorified through us. Help us cling to be one with you, Christ, and one with your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Our benediction this morning is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Be at peace, church. Be at peace.